So have you guys ever been overwhelmed or uninspired with a task so much so that you began to question why you're even committing your time or resources to it? (laughs) Yes, right? Like a thousand-piece puzzle. The first 10 minutes is awesome, but, you know, three hours later, you're like, what am I doing? Um, Finishing your basement, right? Like, uh, that's never going to happen. How about organizing the photos on your computer, right? My... 40,000 photos, just get a new computer. Um, (laughs) Might as well give up, move on. We're not making any progress. What's the point? If we're honest, missions can be like this for us. It's slow, it's inefficient, it's risky. But more centrally, believing and living out the gospel in our day-to-day can be like this for us. It's slow, it's inefficient, it's risky. So almost, almost two years ago, Mandy and I went on a trip, a week-long trip to Norway. Uh, it's a trip, trip we've been planning uh, for a long time, and it was kind of a, celebrating, a, a celebration of graduating from seminary, uh, this call to Japan, but really it was one last hurrah, just the two of us, before our second son, Augustine, was born uh, in August. So Mandy went uh, when she was six months pregnant. Uh, And so now we have a three-year-old and a two-year-old, almost two-year-old. So now you know why we had to go. We'll never get to leave the house ever again. (laughs) So I know what you're thinking. Of all the places in Europe or the world you could go, why go to Norway? Why spend your precious time and resources going to a place like Norway? I know that because I asked the same question of Mandy when she suggested it. That was until Mandy showed me photos of Norway. Have you guys seen photos of Norway? Maybe some of you have. Um, It's an absolutely surreal and stunning landscape. Imagine with me uh, a mountainous northern European landscape with rocks, hills, streams, and then these waterways cut into it with these sheer ominous cliffs rising up into the sky. Um, When I saw these photos, we we were captivated, and we'd hoped that one day we'd get to go to Norway and see these fjords for ourselves. The seed was planted. Those photos had an inevitable impact on how we would then steward our time and resources. Well, visions of glory are like these photos of Norway for God's people. What we believe about the end of history, where God is taking his people and everything else, shapes and impacts the way that we live today. What is the future of God's people, the nations, this world we live in? The book of Isaiah is an anthology of the prophet's writings to the people of Israel. And it starts out speaking to sin and judgment, but toward the end, in these later chapters, speaks to grace and glory. In this chapter, in this, um, this chapter Isaiah is describing a vision of glory. So this morning we're going to focus on two truths about glory that we see in this passage. The first is, God will make beautiful his people. And the second is, The nations will make beautiful God's worship. God will make beautiful his people, and the nations will make beautiful God's worship. So let's jump in. God will make beautiful his people, um, and he'll do so by making his dwelling among us. Read with me verses 1 and 2, and then the tail end of verse 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and 
thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And then the tail end of verse 9. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. So Isaiah is writing here as if he's speaking to the inhabitants of Zion. That is the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God's people in glory. Um, Recent trends are people are moving to cities, to Omaha, to Tokyo. Uh, Similarly, God's people ultimately are moving to the city, the new Jerusalem. Contrasted with the darkness everywhere else, the light and beauty of God's glory will radiate from God's people in this city because he makes his dwelling there. Arise, shine, lift up your eyes, see and be radiant. Thrill and exult, for he has made you beautiful. Though he is speaking to citizens of a city, it also really sounds like he could be talking to a bride adorned for her wedding day. And in fact, in a way, he is. Revelation 21, verses 2 through 3, depicting a similar vision of glory, helps clarify this point. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the inhabitants of Zion are the church, the bride of Christ, those redeemed by Christ. The previous chapter, Isaiah 59, closes with this verse, Isaiah 59:20, And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Jesus redeems, sanctifies, glorifies his people, adorning them with his beauty, making them beautiful. Okay, but what, to what end? Our beauty in Christ will attract the nations. Let's read together verses 3 through 5. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. So the people of God will serve as a beacon of hope to the nations. And not just a few citizens, but the kings of nations will come, will travel and be drawn to her beauty. This is the calling God had for his people in the Old Testament, and it's the same calling for the church in the New Testament. God will make beautiful his people. Not only will he do this, but he is doing this uh, by his spirit, conforming us to Christ's beauty, attracting the nations to himself. So the church planning team that, I'm, uh, that we're joining in Tokyo, uh, they've been there since 2012, and they've been established, in 2012 they began establishing themselves in community, uh, building relationships, and a teammate that just recently uh, went to the field, uh, my buddy Jeff, him and his wife are checking out the, the church plant um, a few years, few years ago, and Jeff told me this story. He was uh, visiting uh, an event that the church was putting on in the community, and he met a Japanese man and his family who'd been attending Grace Harbor Church, and he decided to ask him, uh, why, you know, why are you coming to Grace Harbor Church? And in that conversation, this guy told Jeff uh, that he's never experienced a people or a community like this before. Uh, he, he said that he first began attending out of curiosity, uh, but then 
uh, he noticed that one of the missionaries, Sean, treated his wife differently, his wife Lisa, differently than he treated his own wife. He saw that Sean was kind, compassionate. He showed great joy when Lisa was around him. So uh, this guy didn't talk to Sean about this, he just made these observations. And then, of his own accord, he began changing his own behavior. He began becoming nice toward his wife. He began showing patience and respect uh, to her. He's not a Christian. Uh, He doesn't yet know Jesus, and yet he was compelled to change all the same. The Holy Spirit was at work drawing this guy to the beauty of Christ as displayed in his people. Sean will be the first to tell you that he's not perfect. He's frail and broken as any one of us. And yet... He belongs to Christ. There's a work of the Spirit and a knowledge of the gospel at work in him. God will make beautiful his people, conforming them to the beauty of Christ so that they might shine in the darkness and attract the nations to him. So, how does this shape how we live today as God's people? How does this impact the way we steward our time and and resources? So I know for us as missionaries, this vision of glory gives us hope. It encourages and emboldens us to discern the Lord's call to Japan, um, to faithfully walk in that calling. It compels us to gather a team of ministry partners, to move to Tokyo, to study Japanese full-time, and then to assimilate into a completely different culture and to live and labor among the lost. How is this vision of glory shaping and impacting First City Church here in Bellevue? How has he gifted and equipped you uh, in your life and ministry together? So he's not calling everyone to up and move to another country. (laughs) But he may be calling you to pray for, encourage, or financially partner with those who are. But God has also brought the nations to your doorstep. Um... I'm thinking of the immigrant communities here in Omaha. As an aspiring immigrant to Japan, myself, I can empathize with their desire to make friends, to learn the native language, to find a place to live, and to become a a productive member of society, to assimilate into the home culture. Finally, how does this vision of glory shape and impact each one of us individually? You don't have to be a missionary to show Christ's beauty to the nations. It's it's easy to believe the lie that um, we can't radiate Christ's beauty to the nations, uh, let alone our neighbors, until we get our act together. Once I've kicked that bad habit, once I've addressed my anger issue, once I've increased my devotional life, then I'll invite my parents into my life. I'll ask coworkers. Uh, at work to hang out. I'll invite my neighbor over for dinner. We're all broken, needy, sinful people. But if you belong to Jesus, there's a knowledge of the gospel and a work of the Spirit within you. You show Christ's beauty and you shine in the darkness when you're vulnerable with your family, when you demonstrate humility before your coworkers, and when you tell of God's goodness and faithfulness to your coworkers or to your neighbors. God will make beautiful his people, attracting the nations to himself, so that our second truth here about glory is that the nations will make beautiful God's worship. Read with me verses 
uh, 6 through 9. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring their children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. I'm also going to read verse 13. The, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. All right, so there's a lot going on in those verses. Uh, but first, let's ask, who's drawn to Zion? Well, first we see Midian. He's the son of Abraham. Uh, Ephah was Midian's son. Sheba was his nephew. Kedar and Nebaioth were sons of Ishmael. These are the descendants and peoples that res- resided throughout what is now today Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Jordan. Lebanon is in Syria. Where's Tarshish? Tarshish was a city located far across the Mediterranean in southern Spain, uh, and it's a city that regularly traded with Israel. So the, the point here is that people everywhere, near and far, will be drawn to the beauty of God's people. They will hope in and bring praises to the Lord our God, the Holy One of Israel, because, and be accepted at his altar. So what things, secondly, we see things are brought here. What things are being brought to the sanctuary? We've got camels, flocks, rams, ships, silver, gold, cypress. Why is this significant? God is making beautiful his worship with the diverse beauty of the, and treasures of the nations. So what's interesting is actually uh, the treasures of Lebanon and the ships of Tarshish are also referenced in Isaiah 2. But there, they're referenced as examples of man's pride that the Lord opposes. So I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 2, 12 and 13, and then 16 and 17. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, verse 16, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But here, in this passage, these same cultural treasures are welcomed by the Lord as tribute to adorn his sanctuary. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 26, further clarify this point. And I saw no temple in the city, for it is... For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." So the cultural treasures, the glory and honor of the nations when feeding the pride of men are opposed by the Lord, Isaiah 2. 
when the nations hope in the Lord through Christ and His church, these things are brought with joy and praise to His altar to be placed at His feet where they serve to make beautiful His worship. But God's attracting the nations to Himself through Christ and His church so that the nations will make beautiful His worship. So in my missions class in seminary, I researched and wrote a paper on Christian theology in Japan. And I came across a Japanese evangelist by the name of Kanzo Uchimura. Uh, and just to give you a little background on Uchimura, he belonged to the first generation of Japanese converts uh, after Japan became open to Protestant missionaries in 1859. So what he's w- most well known for is the movement he started called the Mukyokai movement, or the non-church movement. So obviously we don't fully agree with Uchimura's theology because we're about church movements in Japan. Um, but what he tried to do is he tried to appropriate Protestant evangelical theology without any of the Western church uh, worship elements, hoping for a unique expression of Japanese Christianity. So while I'll say that he had errors, uh, the Mukyokai is one of the largest lasting Christian traditions in Japan. And they, gave up the greatest, they put up the greatest resistance to Japanese ultranationalism leading up to World War II. So that's a little bit about Uchimura. But while I was reading him, I came across this simple concept he articulated that will forever influence the way that I view missions in Japan. And it goes like this. A Japanese person only ever becomes most fully Japanese in Christ. Once again, a Japanese person only ever becomes most fully Japanese in Christ. So what he's saying is to submit to Christ is not not to put off being Japanese, but to redeem and beautify what it means to be Japanese. So in their, their pride, sin, and rebellion, the Japanese people and their culture are opposed by the Lord, just as might be said of Americans in American culture outside of Christ. But in Christ and through the ministry of his church, the Japanese have the opportunity to turn to God in, in repentance, faith, hope, love, and obedience. In glory, the Japanese people are redeemed, and their cultural tributes will make beautiful God's worship. This is true for Americans, Ukrainians, Syrians. Christ redeems and purifies the diversity of human cultures so as to bring greater glory and praise to himself. Now don't get me wrong, there are many elements of human culture that are evil, uh, that should end and will not last. But there are many that will be redeemed in Christ. God attracts the nations to himself through Christ and his church so that the nations will make beautiful his worship. So once again, how does this truth from about glory impact how we live as God's people today? How does this shape the way that we steward our time and resources? I can say that this vision of glory compels me as a missionary to really reflect on what we're presenting to the Japanese as the Christian religion. Am I sharing the gospel that has the power to transform and renew all human cultures? the whole of scripture? Or am I packaging my affinities, preferences, theological nuances as Christian gospel? It's so tempting when sharing the gospel and discipling others not to want to create many Christs, but to create many me's. If anyone needs to hear that, it's us missionaries. Especially in situations 
where things are unfamiliar, uncomfortable, strange, it's natural to want to recreate familiar, comfortable, safe communities. For example, as an American, as Americans, we on the deepest level prioritize the individual. We, auto- we value autonomy and the creative spirit. The Japanese, on the deepest level, prioritize the group, value harmony and loyalty. And Christ and his gospel have come to challenge, transform, and redeem both Americans and Japanese. So when I'm discipling uh, a Japanese person, am I looking for a disciple that looks like me, or am I looking for the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Am I looking for love of God and love of neighbor? This isn't just a propensity of missionaries, though. We actually, we, all of us have this propensity uh, as Christians. A great question to never stop asking is, who feels welcome in this church? What do we preach and share as gospel? And then what are we looking for in those we share the gospel with? This vision of glory excites, encourages, and emboldens me to let go of wanting to, to surround myself uh, with the familiar and the comfortable all the time. I'm coming to appreciate those who are different, not only different, but might even disagree with me, because God is at work redeeming the diversity of human cultures. And cultural divides are not just ethnic. They're socioeconomic, they're generational and political. The gospel affirms and challenges uh, every culture. We must then always affirm that which is honorable and challenge that, is, that which is evil in all the, church, the, the cultures that we live in and encounter. So Mandy and I, we had a vision for Norway. We were captivated by the beauty we saw in the photos, and this impacted the way that we then spent our time uh, and resources. So years prior to our trip, we began a Norway, our Norway fun jar, um, a little mason jar. So when I was in seminary, Mandy worked as an elementary school teacher. And after a long day of working as a teacher, she'd come home and she'd teach piano lessons to the kids on the seminary campus. We sold furniture. I sold camping gear, of which I have a lot. Um, we held garage sales. We accumulated miles on uh, our mileage uh, plus card so that one of our tickets was free. Um, we invited our grandparents to spend their own uh, money and time flying down to stay with Finn so that we could go. We couldn't do it with, without them, but we had to ask them for help. Whenever we got weary and thought it would never happen, we'd pull up a YouTube video of, of Norway. Um, so This is an analogy, and all analogies uh, are not perfect, but just as Nor- Norway's beauty shaped and impacted the way that we stewarded our time and resources, so the beauty of glory serves to shape how we live as God's people today. God will make beautiful his people, conforming them to the beauty of Christ, shining as a light in the darkness, attracting the nations to himself. This compels us to move to Tokyo, Japan, to live amongst the strange, different, yet wonderful and beautiful Japanese people. How does this compel you guys to participate in God's global mission to the nations abroad and the nations in your backyard? How does this vision 
of glory compel you to radiate Christ's beauty to your family, co-workers, and neighbors because of the gospel and the spirit that are at work within you? God attracts the nations to himself through Christ and his church so that in glory the nations will make beautiful his worship. This compels us all to reflect and think seriously on what we share as the gospel. I pray that this uh, vision um, would excite, encourage, and embolden you to move out in faith toward the nations and your neighbors. For you look for and long for the renewal of all human cultures to the praise and glory of Christ. 